This is Healthcare Policy Unpacked, a podcast exclusively for Health Plan Alliance members, produced in partnership with Spring Street Exchange and policy insider Chris Condolucci. Welcome, Health Plan Alliance members. I'm Dennis Bolin. I work for you at the Alliance. Welcome to the summer July edition of our policy podcast. And with me, as always, is Chris Condolucci. Hi, Chris. Hey, Mr. Dennis. How are you, sir? Hopefully things are going well and uh, you've been enjoying the summer. Well, it's a little hot. Let me rephrase that. It's very hot right now, Chris, here in in Dallas. We've got 100-degree days stretched as far into the summer as one can see. And coming off of the July 4th weekend, Chris, I hope you were able to spend some fun time with your family and friends. Yes, and uh, still with family and friends as we speak, hanging out at the beach, trying to uh, relax and, as you said, enjoy family and friends, and that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about, and we were reminded of that again this holiday weekend. Well, Chris, last time we were together, you had told us, be watching for some perhaps regulations being released by the federal government on a Friday right before the holiday weekend. So that would have been July the 1st. I didn't see anything coming out. So hopefully you were able to spend the weekend not having to pour over government regulations. Yes, many of us were relieved. Typical fashion, the departments will drop very important regulation right before the holidays. So many of us We're expecting to see something on July 1st, but also with regard to surprise medical billing and the detail and the complexity and the controversy over those rules, the departments and the White House really actually has some additional meetings that they have scheduled over these next two weeks of July, which has led to pushing back the date on which those final surprise billing rules will be released or what we at least expected. So it was nice, Dennis, to have, generally speaking, a work-free weekend, although never a weekend goes without work. Well, there you go. And we now know we still have those to look forward to, so I know you'll help us monitor their release. But even without the release of those regulations on July 1st, we still have plenty to talk about this month, Chris. So I want to get started right away then on what's on every front page. And that was the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs relating to the regulation of abortion. And they essentially have turned that regulation over to the individual state level. And that, of course, creates complexity for our Health Plan Alliance members as we think through, you know, we operate in a variety of states. Many of our health plans provide services in multiple states. They have employers who have employees in multiple states. So, you know, whether it's fully insured business or or self-insured plans, let alone our members who may be traveling outside of the state of their residence to get services. All of that creates complexity. So what are you observing and uh, what are the things that you're taking a look at that we should be monitoring as states begin to look at their regulations, Chris? Yeah, it's an excellent question. And, um, you know, obviously, 
There's been a lot of information in and around the decision. But here's a couple of things that we know. We now know that the Supreme Court has directed or deferred the regulation of abortion back to the state level, as you pointed out. In addition, we also know that some employers are covering abortion and abortion-related services, and some aren't. We also know that in the wake of this decision, some states are going to enact laws or have already enacted laws that prohibit abortion and or abortion-related services within the state. And there are going to be other states that are going to enact laws, if they haven't already, that's going to permit and protect abortion-related services within their state. So we are, to the point that you raised, going to have somewhat of a patchwork set of regulation when it comes to those medical services. So then what else do we know? Well, we know that when a state enacts a law regulating insurance, that law will impact fully insured health plans, both in the individual market as well as in the group market. Those uh, health plans sponsored by employers. And so therefore, in those states where a law will be enacted to protect abortion rights and abortion services, that law will apply to the health plans in that state. But it's important to understand that abortion and abortion-related services is not an essential health benefit under the Affordable Care Act. And therefore, individual market plans, small group market plans, they're not required to cover those services. And it's also important to remember that group benefits, health plans sponsored by an employer, the offer of employee benefits is voluntary. So an employer can choose whether to cover abortion-related services or not. But if the employer is sponsoring a fully insured plan and a state enacts a law that says your plan must now cover abortion-related services, that law will apply to that employer-sponsored fully insured plan. So we have to be on the lookout for what states will be permitting, protecting, and promoting abortion-abortion-related services, and also what states will be enacting laws prohibiting those services because they will similarly apply to those type of health plans. Now, the last thing I'll end on on this subject, Dennis, is we also know that employers sponsor self-insured health plans where the employer takes on self-insuring the health risks of its employees. And ERISA is a law that governs self-insured plans. And ERISA has a preemption provision that actually preempts a state law that is telling the health plan to do something and to do something like cover a particular medical service. So unlike fully insured plans, if it's an employer-sponsored self-insured plan and a state enacts a law that either prohibits or protects and promotes, that law will not apply to a self-insured plan. So we are hearing and reading in the news a number of large employers debating are discussing how they as an employer are going to cover abortion and or abortion-related services. And many employers are offering travel benefits for those employees in states where a state law might be enacted that prohibits those services. And 
in truth, insurance companies, insurance carriers, HPA members, you know, will also have to look out for those type of laws if you're either, again, in the individual market or you're in the fully insured small group or large group market. So it's a wait and see, Dennis, on where states are going to go. But we know there's going to be a patchwork and it's important to stay abreast of what those laws say and do for what the next steps are for our HPA members. Well, Chris, this is another example of how complicated issues can be once you get into the implementation and really understanding the implications for our health plan members. And it sounds like in addition to monitoring the states, they're also going to have to have conversations with their employers to sort through this as well. So thanks for that overview. And before I leave the issue of states, I've got one other topic I want to talk with you about, and that is that Colorado, if I understand it correctly, just received approval to offer a public option plan in Colorado's individual market. Now, I'm going to put air quotes around that phrase public option because the plan must be offered, If again, if I've got it right, correct me, offered on both Colorado's state-based exchange and in the off-exchange market. So in that case, how should our members understand how Colorado's public plan will work and the importance of that question is, are any other states taking a look at this as a template or maybe even the, the federal government is taking a look at it as a template? Yeah, and there's a lot to unpack there. But starting really with the last part of your question of states and federal government, I mean, we, we've been talking about a public option. We, as in you and I, Denison, the alliance for our alliance members have been talking about it in the context of the shift in politics that occurred back in 2020, when former Vice President Biden became President Biden. And obviously the Senate flipping early in January of 2021, a lot of us were trying to guesstimate what healthcare policies we would likely see over these next two to four years. And a public option was on that list. Now, we did expect that it was unlikely that we were to see a public option at the federal level. We all know uh, know the debate that went on back in 2009 and 2010 during the Affordable Care Act, where public option did not happen. Obviously, it was discussed during the campaign of 2020, but with the tight numbers post the 2020 election, most of us, all of us, were pretty much like, okay, ain't happening at the federal level. But... It could happen at the state level. And so one of the things that we did suggest or prognosticate or guesstimate was we could very well see a state submit a 1332 waiver to HHS to get approval to offer a public option plan in that respective state that submitted the waiver. Well, Colorado did just that. Colorado submitted a 1332 waiver. And it was just approved by the federal government. So again, back to your question, ain't going to happen on the federal level, but it has happened in Colorado. And will other states submit 1332 waivers? It's unclear at the moment, Dennis, but there are some states that are supportive of some sort of program similar to a public option. And we could very well see at least two, maybe four additional states 
submitting a 1332 waiver to get approval to offer public option within that state. Now, getting to the first part of your question, what are the details of this Colorado 1332 waiver? And I don't want to get into too much excruciating detail, but I'll say it is a public option plan, at least air quotes, that to your point, Dennis, must be offered by an insurance company that is offering individual market plans in the state of Colorado. If they're offering it through the exchange, that insurance carrier has to offer a public option plan alongside that same plan that they're offering through or plans they're offering through the Colorado state-based exchange. Similarly, if an insurance carrier is, let's say, only off exchange or does on exchange and off exchange, well, you similarly have to have a public option offering alongside the off exchange individual market plan as well, which is somewhat interesting because the public option plan itself is a standardized plan. It has specific rules for network adequacy that are a little even more restrictive than the network adequacy rules at the federal level. So it's important to understand that the public option plan is also a more standardized plan. Now, the last points I'll make about the the public option plan here, Dennis, is the 1332 waiver and where Colorado is going from a policy perspective is they want, they being Colorado, the state government, Colorado, Department of Insurance, wants the premiums for this public option plan to go down by 15% over a three-year period. So for example, in 2023, premiums must go down by 5%. In 24, premiums must go down by 10%. In 25, premiums must go down by 15%. And then 2026 and beyond, premiums can only increase at medical inflation. Now, what we don't know is how will the Colorado's Department of Insurance achieve these premium targets? Because an insurance carrier, you know, it's not as if the insurance carrier has many levers to pull to reduce those premiums. So what Colorado has said in their waiver is that the Department of Insurance will first hold public hearings with insurance carriers and providers and through that hearing process, try to get a meeting of the minds between healthcare payers and providers on how to reduce premiums. If there is no meeting of the minds between the carriers and the providers, it is likely that the Department of Insurance will come up with a specific reimbursement percentage that we typically see with public option plans. In other words, public option plans and the premium reductions associated with them is typically achieved through lower reimbursement rates. And right now, Colorado is reimbursing providers at around the 290% of Medicare rate. Maybe the department to achieve the premium reductions requires a reimbursement of only 175% of Medicare or 200% of Medicare. That is likely the only way that Colorado will be able to achieve those premium reductions. So the last kind of footnote here, Dennis, is public option plan came in through a 1332 waiver. There will likely be more states that will look to this. The way in which states achieve a lower premium rate 
for a public option plan is requiring a lower reimbursement rate. And it will be interesting to see how the providers within the state of Colorado accept or are willing to accept. And I, I guess I lied. Here's the last point, Dennis, because this is important for the providers out there. They will be fined, or at least the Colorado Department of Insurance said if the providers do not agree to certain new changes, like a lower reimbursement rate, the Department of Insurance can fine those hospitals through penalties. So once again, it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Well, Chris, thanks for that overview. And this is one more thing for us to put on our radar for us to watch. And what's great about the Alliance is that we have members in various states, 26, 27 states across the country. So we're able to monitor what some of these states are doing. So this will be uh, high on our watch list for sure. While I've got you talking about exchanges, uh, I want to bring up another important piece of information and see if you have an update on the extension of the enhanced premium subsidies. Everybody's still looking at that. Yeah, and it's a topic that we've discussed at length for a very, very long time. But the new information to report now, Dennis, is congressional Democrats are making once again one last big push to enact some sort of reconciliation bill that has some of the items that were included in the Build Back Better Act that we discussed at length last year. Now, the items that are being discussed that could be included in a forthcoming reconciliation bill that congressional Democrats put forward would include climate change reform, tax increases, as well as drug pricing reform. So those are the three big items that are being discussed and will likely be included in a reconciliation bill should we see it over the next couple of weeks. Query whether the extension of the enhanced premium subsidies will be added to that list of three. Some are suggesting the answer will be yes, of course. There's no way that congressional Democrats will let an opportunity go without including an extension, even if it's for one or two years. But Senator Manchin, who really holds the keys to any reconciliation bill moving forward, has seemed noncommittal as it relates to spending and government spending, instead supporting drug reform, supporting climate reform, supporting tax reforms, but wanting to use much of the revenue raised from taxes, raised from reducing spending through drug pricing reform to lower the deficit. So the last point on this, Dennis, I'll say is, there are 23 legislative days, roughly, 23 legislative days between when Congress comes back after this July 4th recess and September 30th, which is the last day on which congressional Democrats can use the reconciliation process to enact a bill. So 23 days, that does not give congressional Democrats a lot of time. And we all know that Making legislation's hard, compromising is hard, going through the Senate parliamentarian is hard. So it is still an open question as to A, whether reconciliation bill can get passed, B, whether the extension of the enhanced premium subsidies will be included. 
So a lot of open questions, but there is renewed talk, Dennis, which is why we needed to provide the update. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, I don't mean to make light of these big issues because as you've outlined them, they are incredibly important and serious for our members, but I'm chuckling a little bit. I think I'm going to get the phrase wait and see tattooed across my forehead because it seems like you use that phrase a lot and it applies to many of the issues. We wait and see what's going to come of them. Yep. One last thing, Chris, before I let you go. One thing did go into effect on July the 1st, and that's the public disclosure of in-network rates and the out-of-network allowed amounts. So I'd like your perspective on that, where we are in that space. And um, maybe you could also address the prescription drug reporting requirement that's going to be due at the end of the year. Yeah, and there's a little more to discuss about the prescription drug reporting than the disclosure of the in-network rates and out-of-network allowed amounts because July 4th was only a couple weeks, a couple days ago. And we don't yet know all of how things are playing out as it relates to compliance and what the impact, the disclosure of all of this information might have on healthcare spending. You know, we've discussed maybe it lowers healthcare spending, maybe spending is normalized, maybe even spending goes up in some cases. So the big news, though, is July 1st has now come and gone. The machine readable files must be posted and we'll wait and see how folks are doing. Folks being insurance carriers as well as self-insured employers are doing when it comes to disclosing and posting these machine readable files. Now, to the prescription drug reporting, now that we are Seeing July 1st in the rear view mirror, most folks are now turning their attention to the prescription drugs reporting. And to be honest, Dennis, we could have another 30-minute conversation about the prescription drug reporting, so I'm not going to go in excruciating detail there. But I did want to mention a couple things that I'm kind of hearing from some insurance carriers, from some third-party administrators out there, both who are insurance carrier TPAs, independent TPAs. But the best thing to update folks is instructions, updated instructions for the prescription drug reporting was just released by the federal departments on June 30th. So if HPA members that are listening to this, if you have not seen those updated instructions, please go and look for them on CMS's website. I don't have the site handy, but it is available for folks if you look around for it. So go find it. We at the HPA could also make that available. So let us know. I would say the most important things about the prescription drug reporting that folks are struggling with is there's essentially eight data elements that need to be reported. And two of the eight uh, data elements are primarily uh, held, that information is held by an insurance company or a third-party administrator. The other six through, uh, you know, three through eight that information is typically held by a pharmacy benefit manager. Now, in many cases, big insurance carriers out there now own their own PBM. So they can access the prescription drug information that the PBM holds, combine that with the information that the insurance company holds, and readily report this information to the federal government. 
But there are some cases where insurance carriers do not own their own PBM and might be working with a separate outside third-party PBM. In that case, there needs to be coordination between the insurance carrier who has certain information and the PBM that has the other set of information in order to put these reports together. And it and that's most acute in the context of self-insured employers, while maybe not as big of an issue for our HPA members because we're in the fully insured market, but there are some HPA members that have an ASO line of business. There are some of their self-insured employers that are saying, hey, we can get some information from the insurance company, but we now have to separately go to our pharmacy benefit manager to get that information. So there is coordination that needs to be had, and there is an ability to have multiple entities reporting the information that they have dominion over. So for example, the PBMs could submit the information on behalf of an insurance company or a self-insured employer. And then separately, that same information that's uh, held by the insurance company or the TPA for the self-insured employer can report information. So there could be multiple reports from multiple reporting entities, and that is permissible. And that is something that the instructions that I just mentioned do go into detail on. So we wanted to mention the release of the updated instructions, update folks on what, you know, insurance companies and PBMs and self-insured employers and TPAs are wrestling with right now. And we can provide more detail in the coming months as it relates to the prescription drug reporting, which, as you indicated, Dennis, the first report is due December 27th of this year. Well, thanks, Chris, for that overview and, and the introduction. I learned a lot in that space as we now turn our attention to the PBM reporting. And, you know, once again, healthcare is complicated. There are a lot of moving pieces, a lot of players. So some coordination and engagement among those players could really make a difference. So thank you for, for that overview. Man, you covered a lot today. And we've got a long, hot summer still ahead of us, Chris. So uh, I'm going to let you get back to your family vacation. So thanks for being with us. And we'll talk to you again next month. Thanks again, as always, Dennis. And I hope everyone has a good rest of the month. And take care to all of our listeners. You enjoy your summer as well. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another episode in a few weeks. Until then, keep an eye on your inbox for the next issue of our Policy Brief. To engage in a live Q&A with Chris Condolucci and our friends at Spring Street Exchange, be sure to register for our upcoming Policy Forum. To learn more, visit healthplanalliance.org. See you next time on Healthcare Policy Unpacked.